Thank you for listening and subscribing to the Anchor Church podcast. It is our desire at the Anchor to provide a place for you to know God, find freedom, discover your God-given purpose, and ultimately make a difference in the world around you. Each week, the Anchor podcast features Sunday sermon. You can follow along in this podcast episode and read the sermon notes on our website by visiting theanchor.me. Now, let's get into the Word. All right, y'all ready for the Word? Awesome. Well, listen, uh, let me just start by saying this. Throughout Paul's writings, uh, we often see him encouraging his audience to remember the gospel, to remember the gospel. And that's exactly what I want us to do this morning. As, as much as I enjoy uh, talking about all the different facets of God's word, uh, sometimes I think it's just good to go back to the heart of it. It's just good to go back to the center. Amen. Amen. So listen, today, if you're taking notes, I'm going to give you loads of scriptures. I'm not here to impress you. Uh, Truthfully, I'm going to take a a note out of my my pastor's book, and it's simply this. I'm going to preach myself happy this morning. So I'm pumped to share what I want to share with you, and uh, and I hope Jesus talks to you. Uh, It's simple, but yet powerful. Amen? All right, so with that in mind, I want to begin today's message by uh, asking a simple yet what I believe to be a complex question. And that question is this, is why did Jesus die? Why did Jesus die? If I could elaborate on that question for just a moment, uh, I would say this. As most of us know, at the heart of the Bible, a.k.a. God's love story to mankind, uh, we find a cross. It's the cross that serves, for lack of a better word, as a hinge between the Old Testament and the New Testament, between the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. To understand that everything in the Old Testament is pointing to the cross, right? And everything in the New Testament is springing forth from it. You see, it's at the cross where we find Jesus, who is God in the flesh, willingly going to his death for the sake of the world. Most of us know the Bible says in John 3, 16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. Now, the Bible is really clear in this as well. It's clear that no one twisted Jesus' arm or made him come. Rather, we know the Bible says that he was compelled by love, so much so that he voluntarily laid down his life as our substitute and physically endured beyond any human understanding that we have in this room a horrible and brutal death at the hands of men. His very creation killed him. Therefore, I believe this, that he was and he is and he will always be the perfect sacrifice because he paid the highest ransom that has ever been paid when he shed his perfect blood. The Bible says to that in Mark 10, 45, says, for the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So this morning, kind of with all that said, I want to repeat the question, why did Jesus have to die? Why was this innocent man crucified? Why did he do this for you? And why did he do it for me? Now, in my experience for uh, most Christians, if they're young or old, the immediate answer to that question is simply this, is that Jesus died to save us from our sins. Come on, if you know that's true, wave your hand at me today. All right, hopefully we're more excited about that than what you look like. All right, so listen, we know this is true because the Bible says this. I'm going to give you five verses. It's going to be super wordy. Write them down. You can read them later, and we'll let them come alive to you some other time. Here we go. 1 Peter 3.18, it says this. It says, for indeed Christ died for what? For sins once for all. It says the just and righteous. Who's the just and the righteous? That's him, right? That he died for the unjust and the unrighteous. Who's that? That's us, right? It says the innocent died for the guilty so that he might bring 
us to God. Anybody grateful today? Ephesians 2.13 echoes this. says, but now you have been united with Christ Jesus. Once you were far away from God, but now you have been brought near to him through the blood of Christ. Now, why was the blood so important? Sometimes I think we overlook the importance and the significance of the blood. But the Bible says this in Hebrews 9.22. It says, for without the shedding of blood, there is no remission or there's no forgiveness of sin. Now, to give you a broader picture of what Jesus did for us, it says in Colossians 1, it says, For he has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his dear son who purchased our freedom with his very blood and forgave our sins. Acts 26, 18 goes a touch deeper. It says this. It says to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God. It says then they will receive forgiveness for their sins and be given a place among God's people who are set apart or saved by faith. Listen, gang, we can literally go all day long, right? We can keep going verse after verse after verse after verse. And the reason is because the Bible is very clear that what it reveals, that all those verses reveal God's divine intention behind the cross. And so today, we don't have to sit here and wonder. We don't have to be curious. We don't have to think really hard. Listen, there's an undeniable truth that, yes, Jesus came to die for our sins. If I can add something here just for fun we got to understand that by his death, burial, and resurrection, he not only provided a way for our sins to be forgiven, but more importantly, he bridged the gap between us and God. Right? By removing the one thing that caused us to be separated in the first place, which once again was our what? Sin. So listen, in doing so, the Bible says that, that basically he joyfully accomplished that for us, right? With the joy that was set before him. So, so listen, I think it's this, that we can understand that what Jesus did, we could never do on our own, right? He made that which is impossible with man possible through him. Because why? Because the moment he became our substitute, he provided a way for us to be made right with God. That's why the Bible says this in 2 Corinthians 5.21. I love this verse. It says, For God made Christ, who never sinned, to be the offering for our sins so that we could be made right or become righteous, declared not guilty, right, before God through Christ. Come on, is anybody thankful for the cross this morning? Amen. All right. So listen, with all that in mind, uh, I, I, just wanna, I just want to, let me say it this way. I said all that to get to this point, because I want to use this moment as our launching pad for what we're really going to talk about today. So here's the thought that I have for you. Is while I believe all of us are, are eternally grateful for what Jesus has accomplished for us, uh, may I suggest to you today that Jesus died for more than just our sins. That Jesus died for more than just our sin. I understand we want to celebrate it. I understand we're grateful for it. But we have to understand that he died for more than just our sins. If I could say it another way. He died for more than just for you and I to have the opportunity to go to heaven one day. Listen, those things are wonderful. But we have to understand it's only a part. A part of the gospel. It's not all of it. It's not the complete picture. So to explain what I mean by this, I want to share an incredible illustration I heard David Ravenhill share years ago. I've heard him say this in purpose and I, in person, and I've also read this in two of his books. But here's what he said. If you've ever read his books, you probably have found it too. But he said this. He says, suppose, for example, my wife and I have lived without transportation for many years. Finally, we have saved enough money to buy our first car. After days of shopping around, I settled on an automobile I believe to be suitable for our needs. The car, while in reasonable mechanical order, is far from tidy. 
The years and miles have taken their toll. Anybody know about that? Happily, though, I drive it home and set about cleaning it up. I gather it together. I gather together all the necessary cleaning gear, and the process begins. I first wash the car thoroughly with soap and water. I then use some type of solvent to remove the grease and the grime that the soap has failed to remove. Following that, I polish the car until it begins to look like new. Not content with having the car clean on the outside, I begin cleaning the inside. I first vacuum and shampoo the carpets. I then tackle the upholstery with the best upholstery cleaner I can find. The only thing left now to do are the windows and the dash. After a good five hours of work, the car is immaculate. One would never have guessed it was so old. I've even steam cleaned the engine in case anyone wants to look under the hood. I love Brother David. After admiring my new car, I head into the house, please don't miss this, with all the cleaning paraphernalia in hand. I place everything I've used to clean the car on the kitchen table. Ladies, hold your breath. It's just an illustration, okay? He said, I have numerous dirty rags and sponges and newspaper towels as well as, as, well as a five-gallon bucket of filthy, muddy water. I then empty all the dust and debris out of the vacuum cleaner onto the table, piling it alongside all the other cleaning materials. I then called in my wife, Nancy, to come and see all that I have accomplished. I exclaimed, look at all this dirt, honey. See what all my hard work has accomplished? In other words, look what I've purchased for us. All of this dirt and all of this filth, isn't it fantastic? He went on to say this. He said, well, obviously something is terribly wrong with this picture. Nobody in their right mind would give all they have for a bucket of dirty water. My intention in buying the car was not its dirt and grime, but the car itself. The reason I gave all the money I had was because I needed the car. I purchased it as my own to serve my purpose. He went on to drive the point home by saying this. He said, even though this illustration is far from perfect, it conveys a popular misconception about the cross. Please hear me. To most of us, the death of Jesus Christ served only one purpose, and that was to wash the filth of sin from our lives. But we need to understand that God has no use for our sin. It has no value to him. Yes, the Bible says that Jesus will save his people from his sins, but it also goes on to say that he casts our sins into the depths of the sea, that he separates them from us as far as the east from the west, and that he will remember our sins no more. In essence, our sin isn't the main thing. Therefore, God is, is not frantically looking all over creation for some rare sin to add to his collection in the way some collector adds stamps or some rare coin to theirs. And then to end his illustration, Brother David basically drove his point home by saying this. He said, Our sin can't preach testify, prophesy, glorify, or do anything beneficial to the kingdom of God. And I would add, only we can do that. So I'm convinced God isn't as interested in sin as some of us might think. Gang, please don't miss this. To Brother David's point, we need to grab a hold of the unmistakable truth that when Jesus went to the cross, he had more in mind for our lives than just cleaning us up. Right? In other words, he had a greater vision for our lives beyond the moment of our salvation. Great place to say amen. So listen, in light of everything you just heard, let me ask you again. Why did Jesus die? Listen, to answer this, I want to maybe suggest to you today that Jesus' death on the cross was for his benefit as well as for ours. It was for his benefit as well as for ours. 
So on that note, please listen to what Paul wrote to the church of Rome. He said this in Romans 14. He said, for we don't live for ourselves or die for ourselves. If we live, it's to honor the Lord. And if we die, it's to honor the Lord. So whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. Don't miss this next part because here's our answer. Why did Jesus die? He said, Christ died and rose again for this very purpose, to be Lord. To be Lord, both of the living and the dead. In other words, what I'm trying to say is in verse 9, man, Paul stresses that Jesus' death was not merely for our sin, but so that God could establish his lordship in our lives. Let me tell you something, guys. The reason I want to preach this this morning is because of this, is that this is often a very overlooked truth in God's word. It's the basic Christianity, but we bypass it so often because the gospels that's being preached today is very different than what's in the Word. Okay? So listen, in the same manner that David Ravenhill spoke about purchasing the car, not for its dirt, but for the car itself, in the grand scheme of things, gang, uh, that's exactly why Jesus died. It's because he wanted us. He wanted us. Right? What does the Bible say? It says, I have been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ now lives in me. The life I now live by faith in the Son of God, right? Watch this, that loved me and gave himself for me. He wants you, not your sin. Amen? Listen, Paul further clarified this in Titus. He said this in chapter 2, verse 14. He's talking about Jesus here. He said, who willingly gave himself to be crucified on our behalf to redeem us and purchase our freedom from all wickedness and to purify or clean up for himself a chosen and very special people to be what? His own possession who are enthusiastic for doing what is good. Are y'all seeing this? So please notice the two aspects of Jesus' death that are found in that verse right there we just read. On one hand, we see what Jesus did was for our benefit, thank God. But on the other hand, it was also for His. We receive forgiveness, we're born again, right? We become a new creation, we get a clean slate in life. That's for our benefits. But in the exchange, He gets us. That's for His benefit. I hope you hear me today. Listen, because does the Bible not ultimately say that we were created by him and for him? Yes, it does. See, that's why Paul also wrote this, and I love this verse. Told you I was going to give you a lot of Bible this morning because that's what changes us, not some flashy thoughts. Here we go. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. It says, Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is within you, whom you have received as a gift from God, and that you are not your own property? Man, I wish we had quit living like it. Verse 20 says, you were bought with a price. You were actually purchased with this precious blood, right? With the precious blood of Jesus and made, once again, his own. So then, since you're not yours, why don't you go ahead and honor and glorify him with your body? 2 Corinthians chapter 5 says this, as he died for everyone so that those who received his new life will no longer live for themselves. Instead, they will live for Christ who died and was raised for them. Isn't the word of God so good? Listen, I think when we take a step back, um, you know, and we, and we actually go, okay, from top to, top to bottom, everything we've already said, 
Like what, what we're really talking about here is that, man, is that it's a reminder that Jesus Christ died to become our Lord and Savior. Not just Savior, but our Lord and Savior. Amen? Come on, think about the, both of those titles, both of those positions. Think about what Romans 10 says. It says in Romans 10, 13, it says, those who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved, right? What does the Bible say in Romans 10, 9 and 10? It says, confess with your mouth that the, sorry, confess your mouth the Lord Jesus, right? And believe in our heart that God has raised him from the dead. We will be saved. It's both, right? So listen, on that note, I I know more than likely uh, we've thought a great deal about what it means to ask Jesus to be the Savior of our lives. But, but I'm just wondering, have we given much thought to what it means for Him to be the Lord of our lives? Like, it's easy to say the Lord's Day, the Lord's Prayer, the Lord's Supper, but have we really ever stepped back and said, okay, what does it mean for Him to be the Lord of my life? Amen? Now listen, I don't, I don't know your story. Uh, I know mine, but I don't know yours. And, you know, I, but I can still, you know, vividly remember to this day, all these years later, what it was like being a 13, a 14, a 15, a 16, a 17-year-old boy sitting in the back row of that church in County Line, uh, you know, Alabama, right? A little country church. And I can still remember as I sat in that back pew uh, how I felt when the pastor would get up at the end and he would give an altar call for people to get saved, Listen, in those moments, I don't really know how I knew, even at 13 years old, but listen, everything in me screamed that Jesus was, more, was interested in more than just my sin. Like, I just knew it, right? I knew beyond a shadow of a doubt that he wanted me. He wanted my life, right? And the very thought of that, I'm not going to lie to you, it made my palms sweat, man, it made my heart pound. Uh, it scared me to death, right? Like, literally everything in me in that moment knew that I was a sinner, Right? I, I knew things about me that nobody else knew. I knew I was a sinner, right? And, and I knew that I needed a Savior. I desperately wanted to be forgiven. And the older I got, the more I wanted to be forgiven because the more stupid stuff I was doing. Right? Listen, and I wanted the burden of all that guilt and all that shame to be lifted off my life. But being honest, I was scared to death. I was scared to give over control. I'm going to use the word, I was scared to give lordship of my life. <laughs> to God because why because I didn't know what he was going to do with it like I didn't know what he was going to ask me to give up I didn't and and I didn't know where he was going to ask me to go in short what I'm trying to say is is at 13 14 15 16 17 years old I did not know if I could trust God or not right and so what did I do I did what a lot of us have did I resisted Right? For years until I, like most people, and some of y'all could give a hearty amen to this, man, I made an absolute mess of things. It wasn't until I was laying in a heap of my sin, in fact, I was drowning in my sin, depression, man, guilt, condemnation, right? I mean, you, you name it, man, I felt it. And so it was finally after years of all that mess, I finally said, you know what? I'm done. I surrender, right? Now, please don't misunderstand me. In that moment, I didn't have it all figured out. Truthfully, I knew very little of the Bible. I couldn't have told you the difference between Noah and Moses. I, did, I, I knew very little. But, but I made the decision I was done doing it my way. 
right? So I surrender. Please don't miss this. More than just the car keys, more than just the, the steering wheel of my life, like we talked about in Cultivate on Wednesday. Uh, man, I gave him the whole car. I gave him the whole car, right? I was like, it wasn't just, hey, here's the moment. You can drive around the block, Jesus. No, here, here, here's all of it, right? In, in fact, it's kind of like the late uh, Paris Reedhead said. This is Pastor Chris, one of his favorite quotes, but he said this. He said, you've got to get out of the car, take the keys around, open up the trunk lid, hand the keys to the Lord Jesus, get inside the trunk, slam the lid down, whisper through the keyhole, Lord, look, fill her up. You can't say fill her without a country accent, right? With anything you want and you drive, it's up to you from now on. Have we done that? Listen, I, at, at 17 years old, I got to be honest, I didn't have the language to put, you know, to put everything that was happening. I couldn't put into words everything that was happening in me. But in hindsight, I realized I surrendered the Lordship. I surrendered to his lordship. Let me say it right. I relinquished control. And, and to be honest with you guys, my life has never been the same. I wish somebody would get with me today. <laughs> Listen, don't, don't misunderstand what I'm saying. This doesn't mean that the, that the outer workings of the inward decision weren't a process. Right? Let me say it again to help some of us out. The outer workings right, of that inward decision, we're still a process, right? In other words, the reality is I still had my fair share of struggles. I still made some really poor decisions. I still had some, uh, you know, unhealthy emotional attachments to certain things and certain people, and I still try to find my security and my identity and, and things apart from God. In fact, here we are all these years later, and I still find myself doing some of those things. Am I the only one? <laughs> Listen, but because I was submitted to Jesus, once again, we're going back to, I was a late teen, right? Listen, because I was submitted to Jesus as both my Lord and my Savior, uh, it gave room for the Holy Spirit to begin to work. Slowly but surely, He began to move in my life. As I prayed and I studied God's Word, right, my knowledge of what God required and what God expected, right, it began to grow. And with all that, so did my understanding of what His Lordship truly meant for my life. In fact, I'll, I'll just say this, and if you don't hear anything today, please hear this. I, I will never forget the night when I was laying in bed and I was praying and the revelation light came on, right? It was for the first time. At this point, I am a couple years into Jesus. I'm, I'm, I think I was 20 years old at the time. And for the first time, I understood that, symbolically speaking, every person has a cross and every person has a throne in their heart. Right? And, if, and I understood in that moment, if we choose to be seated on the throne of our lives by thinking we're in charge of it, then where does that leave Jesus? Leaves him on the cross. See, but the only problem with that is, is the Bible says that Jesus is no longer on the cross. Y'all do realize that, right? So if you've got jewelry that has it on it, please throw it away. Because he ain't there. Okay? Listen, the Bible says that he rose from the dead. And he's seated with the Father in heaven. What's my point? He is eternally, get this, He is eternally on the throne. So guess what that means for us? It means that we need to get off the throne of our lives and we need to take up our cross. I told you we're getting to the basics today. Right? Did Jesus not say in Luke 9, He said, if anyone, anyone, that's you, that's me, if anyone desires to come after Him. In other words, if we're going to do this thing, here's what's required. 
He said, let him deny himself. Let him get off the throne and take up his cross daily and follow me. Not just one time in an altar because you said a sweet prayer. Daily. Daily we carry the cross. Amen? You see, it was that night, 24 years ago, right, that I learned that lordship means ownership. (laughs) That lordship means ownership, not a partnership. Come on, church. Right? In essence, I learned that Jesus wasn't interested in sharing a throne with me. I wish somebody would hear that today. Listen, there's only one seat on the throne. Right? And there's only room enough for one person on the cross. And here's what I've learned. Jesus confidently knows his place. So it's about time that I figure out mine. Amen? Amen. So listen, in addition to that, all of this, that night's revelation told me this, that making Jesus Lord, I I actually don't really like that term because we don't make him. He kind of already is. But making Jesus Lord, accepting Jesus Lord of our lives means that he has the first and the last word in all things pertain to our lives. Somebody say all things. Y'all realize that. Not 25%, not 35%, not 55%, all Things, 100%, right? It means we are called to walk with him, please him, and do what he wants, when he wants, and in the way he wants it done. He's the Lord. So listen, in spite of what some people might think, in spite of what you may hear on TV, in spite of what some people may tell you, right, what you may read online, listen, Jesus doesn't bargain and negotiate with anybody. He doesn't. He leads, we follow. He is Lord, we're his servants. It's Settled, right? Because he is the Lord, right? He has unconditional and he has unlimited authority in our lives. Therefore, church, Christian, brother, sister, right? We should unquestionably submit and surrender to his will. What he says goes. Yes? See, I personally think, and this is my opinion, if you have a different one, that's fine. But I think uh, that this is where a lot of Christians are missing the boat. I do. Thought it for years. In fact, I, I got to be honest with you. Not that I nail it all the time, because, man, I can, I can go stupid in about half a second. Um, but, but, I, but I'll say this. Since the moment I asked Jesus to come into my life, the moment I surrendered, I've never been able to understand Uh, you know, people who only see Jesus as their Savior and not Lord. I've never understood it. Don't get it. It does not compute with me. Like, not at all, okay? When I see people living uh, just willfully sinful lives that call themselves Christians, I don't get it. (laughs) I'm not saying to beat anybody up. I'm just trying to say it doesn't make sense. Are y'all with me? Yes. So listen, here's why I think somebody missed the boat. It's because they want a partnership with Christ. In other words, they want their cake and they want to eat it too, right? They, they, they want to share the throne. Let me say how it really is. They want to share the throne all the while neglecting the cross. Right? 
They want to share the throne, but they want to neglect the cross. And, uh, and, and, I, and I like how A.W. Tozer said it. He said this. I may butcher the quote, but he simply said this. He said, talking about the new cross that's being preached in the church. And this guy preached this. We're talking 60 years ago. He said the new cross, uh, basically, it, it doesn't slay the sinner. It just redirects him. Right? I love what Dietrich Bonhoeffer said. He said, when Christ bids a man, he bids him to come and die. That's the cross. Right? So, so to understand what, what, what Tozer was saying when he said that it doesn't slay the sinner, it redirects him. All it's saying is this, is that, is that pretty much what the church is selling is this, is, hey, come into, come into the church and get all this joy and all this peace. Here's all the benefit package, right? And all it is is basically what the world wants to give you is just cleaner. There's no transformation. So listen, I think this, in in neglecting uh, their place, these people neglecting their place on the cross, uh, I think many have adopted what a lot of theologians have coined as this, as an easy believism. An easy believism. I know it's a weird word. but, But here's what it says. It says that it's plausible for a person to accept Jesus as their Savior without yielding to Him as their Lord. And here's the, here's the part where that doesn't make sense. It, they're, they're saying that Christ can be divided. He can be Savior without being Lord. We can somehow divide Him. And I want you all to know, man, He's not divided. L- listen, these people have somehow convinced themselves that it's okay once can receive Him as Lord now. Why? Because it's their, it serves their benefit not to go to hell one day. Right? But when it comes to the Lordship, well... They'll deal with that when it's more convenient. Right? So in the meantime, what happens is these people enjoy the benefits that come with Jesus. And I've seen this, man. I may be putting a little different words than what you would, but I've seen it for a lot of years. They treat Jesus like he's a wishing well, like he's some self-help program, like he's some welfare system, and like he's some, someone to ease their conscience to make them feel a little better. You can go say a prayer, feel a little better, keep doing what you're doing. You didn't meet the Jesus I met. <laughs> Right? So listen, so what happens is these people, they ultimately run around talking like Jesus is real while they act like he isn't. Right? And, and I just think this. It's like, they, they think this, but, you know, how can I say this? That's, that kind of lifestyle is the benefit of redefining grace and a misunderstanding of what real forgiveness is because it leads us to think that we can do what we want, when we want, and how we want to do it. Right? It's putting ourselves as Lord. I'm not trying to beat anybody up. This is just truth. Amen? Amen. Hear it in love, please. Yeah? So, listen, I think if those people realize they're not, the truth is they're no different than the crowd of people that we read about in John chapter 6. Remember what happened in John chapter 6. It says that they love seeing the miracles and they love receiving all those free baskets of fish and chips, right? Uh, but, but when Jesus started to ask uh, for more than what they thought they signed up for, uh, man, they ran for the door, right? And, and, you know, basically this, they followed him, like we said two weeks ago, they followed him to a point of inconvenience, right? So, so listen, if you can, if you can uh, let's, let's maybe take a step back and remember what happened, uh, you know, after that happened. In other words, there's this massive monumental moment that people point to out of John chapter 6, but let's look at it together. It says this, John six sixty six through 68. <clears throat> It says, from that time, in other words, Jesus asked some hard things. 
From that time, many of his disciples went back and walked with him no more. Key word there is disciples, y'all. Y'all realize that? We're not talking about some fair weather people. These are people that said, we'll follow you. Okay, when it got rough, they went back and walked with him no more. And then Jesus said to 12, hey, do you want to go also? You want to go away? But watch this. But Simon Peter answered him. Notice the word that he gave. Lord. Lord. Do y'all realize when you read the Gospels, you never hear them call him Jesus? They always say Lord. Right? Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. See, Peter not only had this revelation of who Jesus is, but he was also committed to the revelation he had of Jesus. Right? So, so even so, let me say this, kind of take a, a rabbit trail. I'm, I read this week that basically if you, if you look from Acts beyond, uh, that the word Savior is only mentioned three times. Never knew that. I didn't go count it, so don't quote me on that. But the word Lord is like well over 90 times. So what do you think they were trying to get across? Amen. I like it. Okay. So listen, uh, let me ask you this. Let me ask you this and we'll shift gears here. (laughs) Oh, yeah, it's awesome. Okay, listen, how many Christians today eagerly accept his forgiveness but refuse to receive his lordship in their lives? How many Christians today eagerly accept his forgiveness but refuse to receive his lordship in their lives? And, and I think, you know, on that note, if I can piggyback that question and ask something that's way more important, is this, is how do you and I know if we're that person or not? How do we know if we're that guy or not? Listen, I believe all we have to do is ask ourselves this. Just follow the train here. Uh, all we have to do is ask ourselves, is Jesus the Lord over the words that come out of my mouth? Is Jesus the Lord over the things I see with my eyes? Is Jesus the Lord of the things that I allow to come into my ears? Right? Is Jesus the Lord over how I treat and speak to others? Right? Is Jesus over my attitude and my emotions? Is he over my finances and how I spend my money? Is he over how I spend my time? Is he over my relationships? Is he over my sexuality? Is he over my business? Is he over my entertainment choices? Is he over my routine decisions as well as the major ones? Do I include him in everything? Right? Is he over my goals? Is he over my dreams? Is he over my aspirations and ultimately my future? And even let me say this, not just what comes out of my mouth but what comes in my mouth is he the God of my stomach is he the God of my body right in short what I'm asking is this I'm asking who's in charge right because listen it's really those things that reveal if we are currently sitting on the throne of our hearts or if we have surrendered and taken our place on the cross Right? In short, guys, here's the deal. It is, is it's up to us. We can settle for a cheap grace that practices a brand of Christianity without the cross, or we can choose to embrace the real thing. Amen? So please listen to what I'm about to say. I honestly believe, we're, we're, we'll be done in a few minutes. I, I honestly believe God is eagerly looking, eagerly looking in our day for those who are still willing to do a few things. Those who are still willing to forsake all to follow him wherever he goes. 
Those who are still willing to seek first His kingdom, His righteousness. Those who still delight in His will more than they delight in theirs. Right? He's looking for those who accept forgiveness but passionately enlist in His purpose. Look, I think he's still looking for those who long to hear, well done and good faithful servant. Not just those people who are just, whoo, glad I, glad I slid in there. I don't want to hear, good job, whoo, right? Like one of, one of the coolest, coolest uh, stories in the book of Acts is when, is when Stephen is getting stoned. Right? Stephen's getting stoned and, and it says that Stephen, in the middle of dying, he looks up and what happens? He sees Jesus stand up. Y'all understand, Jesus is seated on the throne. Jesus stood up and gave him, in essence, an applause. Well done. Man, I want my life to count for something like that. It's like this. Let me just say it like I really want to say it. I, I think Jesus is still looking for those that the world is not worthy of. Right? That's Hebrews 11. He's still looking for those that the world is not worthy of. He's not out looking for those who look just like the world. Right? So, so listen, I think if you and I are going to be the type of person God wants us to be, then we need to continue to remember these verses out of Philippians 2. We know it well, but please hear it again for the first time. It says, therefore God has also, sorry, therefore God also has highly exalted him, Jesus, and given him the name which is above every name. That at that name, the name of Jesus, right, every knee should bow of those in heaven, of those on earth, and of those under the earth. And that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is, currently is, Lord, to the glory of God the Father. So, so what, what's the point that I want to make here? It's simply this. If, if Jesus is already Lord, okay, He's already Lord if we want to acknowledge or not. If we acknowledge him as Lord, it doesn't change who he is. Right? He is Lord. So, so if he's already Lord, then why would we ever want to make the mistake of not allowing him to have his rightful place in our lives? Like, why would we ever forsake him that privilege? Why would we do that? Right? Listen, did he not create us? Did he not die for us? Does he not have a plan for us? The answer is yes, 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 right? Then this means that he is the only one in all of the universe who is worthy and who is qualified to hold the place of Lord in our lives. Right? Listen, what he did on the cross has earned him the right to rule your life, to lead your life, right, with complete authority. So, listen, if we allow ourselves, let me say it this way, if we're, allow, if we're currently allowing ourselves or someone or something to be a false lord on the throne of our hearts. All I'm trying to tell you today is time to dethrone that sucker. Right? All right. Can you stand to your feet, please? Listen, I want to close today by pointing to a final scripture. Okay? Uh, it comes from the 14th chapter in the Gospel of Mark. And, and it simply says this. It says that on the night that Jesus was arrested... It says that, that Judas walked into the garden and he called out to Jesus saying, Rabbi, Rabbi, means teacher, teacher, right? And then what happened? The Bible says he betrayed him with a kiss. It's false worship, right? So, so listen, I, I want us to notice what title Judas didn't use that night. Notice he didn't use the, the, the same title that Peter used. He used a different title, right? He, he, he said this. He said, Rabbi. And the reason is, is because the word Lord 
would insinuate it. It would have meant that he had submitted to Jesus' authority at some point in his life. But we know he never did that, right? Instead, he chose to use the word for teacher, which reveals what? That once again, he only allowed Jesus to be a teacher, to be a good communicator, to be a rabbi, but he never allowed him to be Lord. It blows my mind, guys, that here's this guy that that walked side by side with Jesus for years. Let me say it this way. He went to church for years, right? He, He heard incredible teachings from the word. He was in incredible worship experiences. Uh, He even saw jaw-dropping miracles, right? Uh, But he never submitted. He never submitted. He never surrendered. Now, here's what's the wild part. Was Jesus willing to be his Lord? I'll help you out. Yes. 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 He was willing to be his Lord. To understand that he died, the Bible says, for God so loved the world. That included Judas, right? And so here's the thing, though. But he gave Judas a free will to choose for himself. Now, I only bring this up because of this, because I I have been walking with God for a while, and I have realized that Jesus means a lot of different things to a lot of different people, right? And so I want to ask you today is this, is just simply, who have you allowed Jesus to be in your life? Who have you allowed Jesus? Jesus to be in your life. Let me help you out here. If you're getting nervous at the moment, that's a great indicator. If you're in perfect peace at the moment, that's also a great indicator. I'm telling y'all, there's folks, maybe just one, maybe five, maybe ten, I don't know, man, you grew up in church, you've been in church your whole life, and it's Lord, Lord, but it's I never really knew you. I know that in my spirit today. So listen, maybe you're sitting back and you're going, I, I think he's a good moral teacher. I appreciate his teachings. He, I appreciate the way he provides. I appreciate the, appreciate the peace he brings. Uh, you know, I appreciate the forgiveness that he's given me. Uh, you know, in other words, maybe you see him as Savior, but have you ever made him your Lord? Like, I think this is a great moment. Okay? Like, what a great day. September the 4th. Great day great day. I don't know why it's great other than Jesus is here, but great day. Is this what a great day to evaluate our lives and to get honest before the King of Kings and to get honest with where we've really let him be. Is he just your welfare system? Is he just your self-help program? You know, what is he? What is he? What have you allowed him to be? Can we close our eyes real quick, please? I realize there's probably some folks in here that maybe you've never received Jesus as Lord and Savior of your life, and uh, today's a good day. And I also realize there's probably people in this room that, truthfully, you, you, you've been there one time, but you're probably pretty far away at the moment. Um, I realize that there's probably some prodigals in the room today, and Jesus wants you to come home. Jesus, we so love you. Lord, we ask that you would come in your fullness today. The fullness of who you are. Holy Spirit, I ask that you would begin to move in people's hearts in this moment. 
Father, I ask that you would help them to begin to do an evaluation of their own hearts. Yes, to see where they stand, but greater than that, see where you stand in their hearts. Father, to see who you've allowed them to be, who, you've, who they have allowed you to be. I am on this. Jesus, would you simply speak to us today? Would you speak to us today? Holy Spirit, I'm asking that you would go down and you would show areas of our life that aren't surrendered. Areas of our life where we haven't allowed you to be Lord. Yeah. Listen, while your eyes are closed, I, I, I just simply want to do this. Um, if you've never asked Jesus Christ to be the Lord of your life, all you have to do is just say, Lord, I surrender. I surrender. I'm yours. Ask him to forgive you. Ask him to give you a new start. But listen, same thing. If you're here today and you are, you've been wondering and doing your own thing. Listen, it, all you have to do is turn around. He's been chasing you. You're not as far off as you think. So Holy Spirit, this is your moment. This is your time to do whatever you want to do in our hearts, in our lives. Lord, we're not in a hurry. Lord, we just want you. We want to make sure when we leave this place that we're right with you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for joining us today. Be sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram for encouragement in your walk with God and to receive updates on events happening at The Anchor. Have a great week and God bless.